Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Let's pick up where we left off. Because we've been in a series called Bigger, Better, Bolder. Last week we discovered that our miracle is in our mouth. That what manifests in our lives has a lot to do with what's coming out of our mouths. Remember, we said life and death. Thank you, Pastor Jesse. I got my handkerchief and I forgot to use it, but thank you for the reminder. We discovered from the ancient text that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. So we frame our world by our words. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds, the cosmos, were framed by the word of God. Even God gives us the example or gives us the first glimpse of the creative force of our words. And long before motivational speakers were talking about self-fulfilling prophecy, God was giving us this instruction to mind, to guard what comes out of our mouths. And so this morning, I just want to share quickly a few thoughts from a somewhat familiar passage of scripture from Numbers chapter 13. And we will see the distinction between uh, two groups of people and the outcomes they experienced in their lives. And it was a direct result of what was coming out of their mouths. So I had to rethink today's title. And it's simply this. Your miracle and your misery is in your mouth. Not just a miracle, the misery too. So let's dive into the word together. Father, help us to see infallible truths from your word. I thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. So, Lord, would you illuminate our understanding in the areas of our lives where we've been walking in darkness? You said in your word that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. We just don't know what's already available to us, what you've already prepared for us through the finished work of the cross. So, Lord, today, today, we ask you, we ask you as we draw near to your word, illuminate our understanding, help us to see what you've already made for available for us through the finished work of the cross. Thank you for being the God that is more than enough. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Elbow your neighbor and say, it's 1103. Come on, somebody. In Jesus' name. We're going to go fast and furious. Here we go. Numbers chapter 13. Let me give you a little bit of context to the text. The Israelites have traversed the wilderness for many years, and they have finally come to the outskirts of the promised land. From where they stand, from their vantage point, they can see what God has promised them. They have come to Kadesh Barnea. And instead of going into the promised land as God instructed them, they were standing on the outskirts. Come on, somebody. If we're honest with ourselves this morning... We would admit that there are things in our lives that we know God has spoken, that God has said, but we're too scared to take the first step. Remember what I said about the dilemma of faith? The dilemma of faith is that we often wait too long and we quit too soon. 
There are some here who quit prematurely. And there are some here who have always said, ready, aim. Ready, aim. Ready, aim. Ready. You've got the target in your sights. You've got the enemy in the crosshairs. But something keeps you from pulling the trigger, and it is the dilemma of faith. It is the dilemma of faith. It is the what-if question. And we called it, what did we call it? The paralysis of analysis. We overanalyze the problem, and it negates the promise. And so here the Israelites are. God has already promised them. And he says, this land belongs to you. But they steady waiting for God. Don't ask God to order your steps if you ain't willing to move your feet. Isn't that what we do? God showed me what to do next. And God will tell us, and we freeze. And we wonder why nothing changes. So, so, so the Israelites are standing on the precipice of the promise, right? They're standing on the outskirts of Kadesh Barnea. Listen to me. Have you ever been in a season in your life where you could taste it? You could feel it? It was, it was almost within reach. Just, maybe just, I say within reach, but it's almost like you're stretching your head, and, it's almost, and it just requires a little bit more. That's where the Israelites are. In fact, can I, can I just ask you to do this? Just, just indulge me for a second. Just, just raise your right hand, your right hand, as high as you can. Just as high as you can. Now raise it a little bit higher. A little bit higher. A little bit higher. Okay. Put your arm down. Uh, <laughs> you said, Pastor, what are you doing? What was the first instruction I gave you? Some of y'all said raise your right hand. Some of y'all said raise your right hand as high as you can. Nope. The instruction was raise your right hand as high as you can. But most of us raised our hands as, com- as high as we were comfortable raising our hands. And when I said raise it a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. How many of you realize that a lot of us use the same approach with our faith in God? God says stretch, and we hold something back. God says go for it, and we hang out on the border of Kadesh Barnea. God says go all the way in, it's already yours, and we stretch this far. That's where the Israelites are. And most of us live in a place where we see the promise, we can even feel and taste the promise. But something holds us back. It's just that little bit more that's required of us. And that little bit more is just simply taking God at his word. But when God says it now, we rationalize it. When God says it, we try to put logic to it. And it keeps us, even though we've come this far, it keeps us from taking that next step. So, so, so God said, you'll go in, and he said no. So when you read Deuteronomy chapter 1, check this out. 
They're on the outskirts of Kadesh Barnea, and then they said, we ain't going to go in. God, this is what you need to do. Send some spies in. Let them go see what the land is like. So what we're about to read in Deuteronomy 13 is not something that God initiated. It's actually something he acquiesced to. I think y'all missed that. God has a way of getting our attention, though. That when he tells us what to do and we steady disobey what he tells us to do, sometimes he has a way of giving us what we want. Didn't we read that in, in, in Psalms last year? They, they complained against the manna, so God gave them meat. And the meat was coming out their teeth, but the scripture says that there was leanness in their soul. He gave them what they wanted, but there was still emptiness in their soul. That's what he did with Saul. God says, I want to be your God. And said, no, we want to be like all these other kingdoms around us. Give us a king. God said, I want to be your king. And they demanded a king and they got Saul. So there are things we read in scripture. It's not because God initiated. God said, y'all go in. He said, we ain't going in unless you send spies. So I said, okay. Y'all go for it. So here's what the story picks up. Deuteronomy chapter one. Are y'all still with me? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, uh, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Listen, these 12 spies are not just ordinary cats. These are leaders of tribes. These are notable men, men of renown. Ultimately, what God was saying is send in men of influence. Because whatever they see and whatever they say is going to influence the people that they lead. It's not just about you. I'm talking to the men and I'm talking to the women. I'm talking to heads of households. There are people waiting on the other side of your obedience to God. He said, send in leaders because what they see and what they say will influence everybody behind them. So they will see it first. How many of you realize that in life, it's not only about what we see, but how we see? There's this thing that we all have called a filter and we process life. Not just through what we see but through how we see. And can I, can I just say this to you? Can I just say this to you? I'm going to fast forward my notes. When a person is toxic, nothing you do will satisfy. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to fast forward my notes so y'all can get out of here soon. Y'all see what I did there, right? Soon is open-ended. Soon can mean anything. Jesus, help your pastor. When a person is toxic, nothing you do will be enough. So God says, okay, I'm going to bring you all the way to Kadesh Barnea. But that wasn't enough. Send in 12 spies. 
So he sends in the 12 spies. And even that wasn't enough. So I'm just going to fast forward the story for you. The 12 spies go into the, the land of Canaan over a period of 40 days. Most Bible commentators said they covered about 350 to 400 miles. When you read the text and it talks about all the regions that they covered, their exploration and their expedition was extensive. Y'all see what I did there? Their exploration and their expedition was extensive. Hey, that just came off the dome, man. No, for real, that just came off the dome. Extensive. I'm not good with distance. But if you were to leave Dallas and you were to drive 400 miles east, where would you land? Anybody? Generally speaking, 400 miles east of Dallas or west of Dallas, you would land where? Huh? Little Rock. I knew it was going to land somewhere in Arkansas, man. I wanted to put Arkansas in the story. Pig suey. So imagine, over the, listen to this, over a period of 40 days, these 12 men explored a region about the distance from Dallas to Little Rock. They were thorough. They saw everything they needed to see that God instructed them to look for. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you a couple of things he said to look for. Uh, uh, he said, uh, when you go into the land, this is what you're going to do. Uh, uh, verse 17, Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. It says, then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. Come on, somebody. Sometimes God's just got to elevate you a little bit so you can see. Right? Sometimes we miss what God is doing because we don't see. And sometimes God has to elevate our perspective. That's why he said in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, come up higher and I'll show you some things. So he says, go up to the mountain, elevate your perspective so you can see. And he says, get up on the mountain. He says, go south, get up on the mountains, and then, and then see what the land is like. Listen to what God is doing. He's beginning to prime the pump. He's beginning to whet their appetite for new possibilities. When God starts to speak to you, he will, he, will, he will expose you to new environments that are different than anything you've seen or held or touched or experienced before because what he's trying to do is whet your appetite. He's trying to allow you to experience new possibilities. Because you and I cannot live or lead beyond what we've been exposed to. Because if you've not been exposed to it, you don't even know it exists. But it's been there the whole time. On the other side of where they stood, there was a whole land flowing of milk and honey that they had never seen. And God said, if you're going to see it, or if you're going to get it, if you're going to lay hold of it, the first thing i got to do is elevate your perspective. So you can see what I've, listen to me, so you can see what I've already prepared for you. Listen to me, sometimes God will put us in environments and we'll ask ourselves, Chris, what am I doing here? Do I use the fork on the outside and work my way in? 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, see, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is elevating your perspective. And here's what we do. We, we, mis, we misinterpret that, misunderstand that. And God puts us in environments. And instead of saying, God, instead of realizing that God is trying to prepare us, enlarge our capacity to receive us, we start hating, though. We don't realize it. We start hating, and we start to despise where we are. But what God is doing is saying, look, I'm going, I'm going to let you go in so you can get a taste of what is already yours. Not to envy evildoers. That's what scripture says. A lot of times David prayed. Like, why you got all these wicked people prospering? Sometimes God will elevate your perspective, bring you into new environments and new spaces so you can see what he's already provided for you. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he says. So check this out. Uh, uh, what's in the land? Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage, listen, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Except bring back some evidence of what you see. It says, now because now the time was the season of the first grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from, wilder, from the wilderness of Zin as far as uh, Rahab near the entrance of Hamath. And verse 24, uh, the place was called, I'm sorry, verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshol, and there cut down a branch. Listen to me. They cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. Listen to me. Napa Valley ain't got nothing on the valley of Eshol. Listen to me, they cut one cluster of grapes and two men had to carry it between them on a pole. And God says, I'm getting ready to see something I've never seen. Say you're getting ready to see something you've never seen before. I want you to go into this land and I just want you to look at the grapes and bring it back. So when you bring it back to your people, they see that these grapes are so big. That two men got to carry in a pole, and that's what I'm bringing you into. And they said they also brought back some of the pomegranates and the figs. Oh, boy. But it kind of gets interesting now. Because in verse 26, it says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, all congregation of children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. Remember, they came back to the wilderness, but now they had tasted the promised land. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> if I've been living in the wilderness 40 years and God gives me a hall pass and say, spend the next 40 days in a land flowing with milk and honey and bring back the evidence of what the land produces. Listen, first thing I'm going to do is go straight to the closet and take out my suitcase I ain't saying not a word to nobody. <laughs> On the way out, I'll be like deuces. <laughs> no, God had given them the keys. So he go, they, go, they, they go on this little vacation for 40 days. 
Airbnb in the Valley of Eshel. And they come back to the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever been on a nice vacation and sometimes you come home, you'd be like, man. <laughs> Look, let me tell you, it's not even getting back to the house because you love your house. But when you hit that airspace, you know when you cross over the ocean and you start seeing buildings and highways and you've been on the beach for seven days, you want to turn right around and go back. But these cats be tripping, though. Israelites on a whole other level, man. So, so they came back, came from the, the, and they came to the valley, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Somebody say, show and tell. Come on, that's what they're about to do. And then they told him and said, man, we went to the land. <laughs> so, so, you know, I like this story because it's almost like they were saying to the, the Israelites, uh, I got some good news <laughs> and I got some bad news. What y'all want first? And Israel said, oh, give us the good news. Give us the good news. It can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. Then he said, okay, we're going to give you the good news. So, so, so here it is. Here it is. Uh, verse 37. Then they told him, uh, man, man, we went to the land where you sent us. Lord, it truly flows with milk and honey. Man, look, this is its fruit. Verse 28. Come on, somebody say conjunction, junction. <laughs> what is your function? Because when you start using words like nevertheless, it negates, it nullifies everything that preceded it. And most of us put our butts in the wrong place. God, you said, let's go into the land, but. God, you said this business would be blessed, but. Instead of saying, man, the last couple of months have been hard, but. My God has promised to supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Man. I know it's kind of lonely now. But Lord, you promised, you promised he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. See, most of us put our butt in the wrong place. We say, God, I know you promised, but ain't nothing happening. God, I know you promised, but they turned me down for the loan. God, I know you promised, but I didn't get the house. Instead of saying, I didn't get the house, but God, you got so much better for me than that. Uh, tap, tap your neighbor and say, God, upgrade me, upgrade me, upgrade me. Come on, come on, come on. Where are the Beyonce, what do they call them? Bay, bay what? Beehive, beehive. Come on, beehive, beehive, whatever you are. Lord, upgrade me. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, it's 1124. Come on, somebody. Hey, the man of God said, take your time. Can I get one person to agree with him? Just one, just one to agree Okay, I got more than one. All right, all right, all right. So I'm going, I'm going to wrap it up, though. This, this is my first close. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, so, 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 so here we go. Nevertheless, the land's flowing with milk and honey. It's exactly the way you said it would be, God. Nevertheless, 
Oh, man. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Without going into too much, if you read Genesis, opening chapters, the sons of Anak were the descendants of, let me just put it this way, they were giants. I ain't going to try to explain all of that stuff theologically, but they were giants. Isn't that crazy, man? God will give you a promise, and it's surrounded by fortified cities and giants. Why, why can't I just, <laughs> why can't I just go to the gym and say, bicep, enlarge? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Why can't I say that? You got to put in the work. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes, the giants are not there because God has abandoned you. The giants are just there. The fortified cities are just there because it's one more opportunity for you to flex that faith muscle. Listen to me. God is just saying, God is just saying to us, I'm going to bring you into this land. It's flowing with milk and honey, but just one more rep, baby. Just one more rep. Oh, let me give you this one. Just one more rep. And the beautiful thing about it is, God said, I'm going to spot you. you, you you're military, aren't you? Army, army. Y'all, y'all remember when, when, we would, when they would smoke us and we would do push-ups until we hit, what did they call it? I know what it is, but what did they call it? We hit muscle, muscle failure. I'm talking about doing push-ups until your whole body is shaking from the crown of your head to your tippy toes. You ain't got nothing left. Give it your everything. Sometimes that's what it feels like, right? Like you're about to hit muscle failure with God. And God says, just one more rep. And I'm going to spot you. Because you're going into this land, but you ain't going alone. I have already gone before you. So, 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 uh, so here it is. And man, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. Remember, they had three, they covered three, between 350 to 400 miles. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and all along the banks of the Jordan. These guys did their homework. But it's sad to say that sometimes, as people of faith, we're more familiar with the problem than we are the promise. We know every single detail detail of the problem. How big the bill is, what the interest rate is, when it's due, all the qualifying factors. Show me one scripture. Um, I don't know nothing in the Bible. I just come to church. Show me one scripture about the promise of God for your search situation. Um, can you give me one, Pastor? And we wonder why we are intimidated 
when we stand face to face with the descendants of Anak. Because you're more familiar with what they can do than what your God can do. What did I say? Your miracle and your misery. It's in your mouth. So, 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 uh, okay, let me, let me let y'all out of here. And verse 30, though, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Listen to me, there's 12 spies, and then there's this one guy named Caleb. The reason I like Caleb is because of what he says right here. How many of you realize that all 12 of the spies saw the same thing? But remember, it's not only about what you see. It's about how you see it. So all 12 of them walked for 40 days, 400 miles, and the majority, 10 out of 12, the only ones who stood on the promise of God were Caleb and Joshua. What set them apart? What set them apart? What set them apart? No, listen, listen, listen to what he said. It says, then Caleb granted the people, acquired the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once right now. Don't hesitate another day. Guys, get your weapons, get your RPG, get your M16, your AR-45, get your Beretta, your Glock. Let's go now. That's the kind of people you need on your team. And most of us defer to the majority. So I say, ain't no, no, no reason to even try. Ten of these guys said it's a hopeless cause. So I'm just going to let my dream die because of what the majority said. Listen to me. They don't pay one bill in your house. They don't do one thing for you. You better get somewhere you and your God and figure out what the next move is and settle it once and for all regardless of what the other 10 say even though all 12 of y'all walk side by side you saw something different everybody said no this is a hopeless cause Caleb was saying let's go now listen to the difference between what God had promised and their response to it. I promise you, I'm about to wrap this up. But these people are hard-headed. Huh? Because the enemy, the enemy is relentless. Hmm? Sometimes winning in life just has to do with outlasting the enemy's resistance. Some of, sometimes it's just stamina. Sometimes it's just endurance. He'll keep coming at you, keep coming at you, and sometimes we'll just get tired and quick. So he said what he said, and now they come back. But the men who had gone up with him said, man, we ain't able, doc. We can't do this. We're not able to go up against these people. They're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it 
are men of great stature. Listen to what he say. He said, everybody we saw was a giant. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, uh, I lost my train of thought. Maybe that's a good thing so I can let y'all go. Notice what he said in verse 33. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, and they came from the giants. Listen, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Worship team, go ahead and come because we're going to close. Notice how they saw themselves. How they saw themselves influenced how they thought other people saw them. The problem I have with the text is if you truly aspire, ain't nobody see you. So how come you think you look like a grasshopper to them when they weren't even studying you? Somebody say, don't project that on me. It's how they saw themselves. It's how they saw themselves. It's how they saw themselves. Chapter 14, I don't have time to go into it. Chapter 14 ends by saying, uh, Caleb and Joshua and their tribe and their descendants entered the land of promise. These 10 jokers and their tribes perished in the wilderness. Listen to me. You better be careful who you follow. Because there were people who didn't see the promised land who died because of what their leader said they could not have. I'm talking about alignments and attachments. Some of us just hooked up to the wrong people. And it's just time to sever, cut that. You better get you a Caleb in your life. And here's why. Caleb's name means dog. Sometimes you just got to get one junkyard dog faith friend. You don't need a majority. They're a majority tripping. All you need is just one. Joshua, I'll be Caleb. Caleb, I'll be Joshua. And let's go and take two men. Because your misery and your miracle is coming out your mouth. All those people died, not because of what they did, but because of what their leader said. You can't have it. And some people, I would venture to say that some of you are going through life and you're not experiencing what God has promised you because you got the wrong lid on your life. The wrong people are telling you what you can and can't have, and unfortunately, you believe their lies. Get over on the Caleb and Joshua side, because God came down, and he says, but my servant Caleb was of a different spirit. And as I close today, every head bowed, every eye closed. As I close today, as I close today, and even as we celebrate Pentecost and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, I pray that today, that same spirit that birthed the church, a spirit of unity, 
a spirit of power and a spirit of boldness would come upon each of us. And that we would be like Caleb and Joshua in the midst of 10 doubting spies. Would you make us? Would you give us the same spirit that overtook Caleb and Joshua in Jesus' name? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at citychurchtv.com. If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.